work of the church, and I love this church, and I want to see it grow, and I want to see it become what I believe God would have it to be. And I think maybe if we see see church like we see it in the passage today, it will, will move us. It has certainly moved me. What we read today and what we're going to talk about today, about what happens as a result of the day of Pentecost and, and salvation coming and uh, and the Spirit coming to the world, sees the the glory of what God can do in the gathering of his people. And that's what we want to spend some time with this morning looking at. We're going to overlap a little bit here in our reading. We're going to begin in verse 37 of Acts chapter 2 and read through the end of the chapter. It says here in Acts 2 verse 37, Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children, And to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. To ask God's blessing on his word, our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word to, to see the glory of your work in this world, we ask for your blessing. Lord, we ask for your goodness upon us this morning. That we might grow, that we might learn, that we might be moved. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've just read, these these verses of what you see the people of God doing as they gather, this is what I want to give my life for. This is what I give my life for. It seems a worthy goal, what, what takes place here, what God does in his people. In these verses, these last parts of, of Luke chapter 2, Luke or Acts chapter 2, Luke is giving us an, an overview of what it was like in the life of the early church. Then the following chapters, so chapters 3 and and on to the next few chapters, he gives us specific examples of what that looked like and what happened in the church as a result. So this is an overview. It gives us the the grand picture of what it was like in the early days of the church. What we see here in these last few verses is the result of two things. It's the result, one, of what we've talked about before, the coming of the Holy Spirit, and that's what happened here on this day of the day of Pentecost. And it's the result of the work of the Spirit then through his apostles as Peter preaches and the disciples share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We went through Peter's sermon last week through chapter 2, and it is a powerful sermon. It explains 
what they saw and why they saw it. And what they saw and what they were seeing was a result of the power of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And that Jesus, having risen and ascended into heaven, has now sent his personal presence in the spirit of God to be amongst his people, to empower us for his, his work. After the preaching that, that Peter does through this and, and shares with them what God is doing and what it does, we read in verse 37 again, says that the people were cut to the heart. This is where it always begins. Conviction. As the word of God comes out and is, is proclaimed by us in, in our times of witnessing and in our times of reading and in the preaching, that when the word of God comes out and reaches, it convicts people in their heart. They see the truth. They see the reality of what God is and what God does follows from verse 37 into verse 38 where that conviction then leads them to a place of repentance that is they see they are convicted they understand what God says is true and then they repent and they turn to God and it says then are baptized which is obedience the natural normal steps of what God does in salvation conviction repentance obedience then tells us it comes with a gift of the Holy Spirit What I love about the way it says here that Peter proclaims this to the people here and and what he says about them in verse 39. It says, for the promise, that is this salvation and this gift of the Holy Spirit to those that believe, it says, is to you, that is to everyone that hears him. He says, and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. Peter, it seems, having been filled with the Spirit and having studied and having preached the Word of God, recognizes what Jesus was saying in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. That the gospel was not just for this moment, that what Jesus did was not for now, that it wasn't just for for them and that he was going to establish a kingdom, but it was for them now and it was for the generations to follow. And it wasn't just for the Jews, but for those afar off, for everyone. The gospel is to reach the world. The events of this is the result. Church grows rapidly. Verse 40 says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 people were baptized that day perhaps by the the 120 disciples who were there already, and they they baptized and were added to this gathering of God's people. So what happens? Peter preaches, and and people get saved, and this this church is built and and established and empowered on this day. What what happens with all of these people that, that were saved? What were they added to? What was it like? to live as one of God's people in the early church. We want to consider that a little bit this morning about what happens when uh, a church like this is, is filled with the Spirit of God and lives according to his plan. The first thing we see about this early church is that they pursued God together. They pursued God together. It says in verse 42, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. They focused on learning, single-mindedly toward understanding the word of God. So these people, this magnificent day which comes where the Holy Spirit comes to, to earth 
and, and does a magnificent and wonderful thing in the lives of, of 3,000 people, they don't just continue on with life as normal. It wasn't they, they come this day and they, and they see these amazing things and they, they hear the truth and their lives are changed by believing in Jesus and then they just go about doing what they do. Things change. Their focus changes. The Spirit bound them together and created something unique, created something spiritual, created something magnificent as a result. The focus of their life changed. In many ways, the church became the focal point of their life. This is what they were learning and what they were doing and where they were serving and, and how they shaped what they did in their work and their families. It says they continued steadfastly or they devoted themselves continually. This it means they were focused. They were single-minded in understanding God's truth, in knowing what God wanted them to know and understand. It wasn't just a, a focal point like a club. It wasn't just about having something to do, that they needed to go somewhere and do something and, and say that they were serving. It became, it became part of who they were. They, what is happening here is, is a, a cult is not being built. A community is being built. A community, in fact, it's, it's deeper than a community. A community is a good word, but it's deeper than that. What is being established here, what is being empowered here is a family. That's what's taking place here. The Great Commission, that is to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, that is our mission. But God and his people are our life. It's what we live for. It's what we pursue what they focused on here, when it says that they continued steadfastly, that they devoted themselves single-mindedly, what they focused on was the heart of what a church is. Now, there are two main areas that they focused on here. It says, one, that they, steadfastly, uh, that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and Fellowship. To be vibrant, to be alive, to be powerful, we must be constantly devoting ourselves to both, to doctrine and fellowship. They desired understanding. They gathered together as one to seek to know God better. One reason the coming of the Spirit is so important is that he taught and inspired the apostles to be able to teach the people, to give us what we have here today in the New Testament. You know, one of the signs of genuine conversion, one sign that someone is genuinely saved is the desire to grow in the knowledge of truth, that they want to know more of God. They desire to know what he wants. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. You know, it's like a newborn baby just needs that, that milk and cries for it. That's what we're like as we come to God's word. The teaching and the preaching was the main focus of their gatherings. The word of God is foundational. How we, how we understand our God, how we understand our salvation, the, the word of God is, is how we are transformed to be like Christ. It's, 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 it's foundational. It's, it's, 
the teaching of the word of God is the primary responsibility of pastors. This is what Paul prayed for when he prayed for the church of Ephesus, is that their, their eyes would be opened, that their understanding would be deepened. When he prayed for the people in Ephesus. A spirit-filled church is one that loves God's word and desires to grow in it. So we see, one, that they were focused on learning. But remember, I said there's two things. It's not just doctrine. It says they continued steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship. So they persisted in fellowship. They lived together. And by lived together, I I don't mean that they all kind of got into a, a, a commune, this uh, this isn't about living together in, in a little commune and, and doing all that. That's not what it means, but it meant they, they shared life together. See, church isn't just about teaching. It was just about teaching. Well, then any Bible study group and, and any bible organization would do just fine. But that's not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to something else, something deeper, something grander, something more magnificent, something far more spiritual, far more deep. He's calling us to this idea of family. The church is a community of God designed to live out the teaching in a family. Church is about teaching fellowship. That fellowship is seen in two specific ways. And he defines it for us here. He says that they continued uh, steadfastly in doctrine and fellowship. And he gives us two areas in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The breaking of bread and in prayers. A fellowship in the breaking of bread. This term, breaking of bread, is a very broad term. There are some that think it refers to the Lord's Supper, but actually it's much broader than that. It's a, a term which is used at the end of Acts. Luke uses it at the end of Acts with the two on the road to Emmaus, where they sit down with Jesus and they break bread together over a meal. That's the same phrase that's used here. Now, in the early church, it may have included the Lord's Supper, but it wasn't the Lord's Supper. That's not, it wasn't just that was bigger than that. It may have been what became known as the Agape Feast, which was as the people gathered together to learn and worship, they would then share in their meals together and enjoy one another's company. Fellowship here is it's a powerful word. In fact, it's a word which was often used in speaking about marriage, where two become one. That's what fellowship had at its base. It is a binding together, a binding together of people. In the following verses, we see how this happens. We see some of it, and in the chapters that go beyond, we see specific illustrations of this. Speaks of our binding together. What does this mean? It means these people began to share their lives. And that's what we see as you look down in the passage as they shared what they had and they sold their possessions for one another to encourage one another. They shared their lives. They shared their homes. They shared their food with the people around them. They were joining together in love. But genuinely and practically in love. They opened their homes to each other. And in their homes, they opened their hearts to one another. You know, we've 
we've been been blessed, I guess, in in some ways in this past year as we've gone through this pandemic through the world that we've had technology and be able to to have church services streamed online. But the truth is, you can't go to church online. You can watch church online, but you can't go to church online. There is something in the fellowship of God's people that is remarkable. Something that God does amongst his people which cannot be replicated in any other way. So it's one, they fellowship together in the breaking of bread. That is, they shared their homes. They shared themselves. They shared together with one another and they prayed together. They focused on learning God's word and they focused on the fellowship by sharing their tables and they focused on fellowship by praying. Prayer is a defining characteristic of church. You know, we, we always say we, in, in our own lives, we can never pray too much in our own lives. And the truth is same in the gathering of God's people. We can never pray too much when we gather together. Jesus said when he was speaking of, of the temple and how the temple was meant to be a place for people to gather for worship instead of what it had become, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer. This passage, which we read here in verse 42, it seems to emphasize the formal prayers of gathering. That is, we gather together and together we pray. The church being led in prayer. Paul says it in Colossians this way, he says, continue earnestly in prayer. See, prayer is fellowship with God, but it is also fellowship with one another. Praying together, whether we we pray together individually or whether we are led in prayer by one or another, prayer unites us in thought toward God. Our hearts and our minds are focused together on praying to God. Prayer together unites our hearts in love as we pray for each other. The power of prayer in the church family can't be overestimated. A spirit-filled church pursues God together in doctrine and in fellowship. They pursue God together. The second thing we see here, not only did they pursue God together, but they were empowered by God together. Verse 43, then fear came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. God is present there. God is present. The presence of the spirit is the presence of God. You're in First Corinthians chapter 3. In verse 16, it says, Do you not know that you, and the you there is collective? That is, he is speaking to the church, not to us as individuals. 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19, where it says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit, that's individual, and that means us individually. But here the you is collective. So he says, Do you not know that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwells in in you. When we gather together, God is in our midst. And he is here and he is present in power. How did they know at this time that God was present? Well, God empowered the apostles uh, miraculously. They were uniquely gifted with what the New Testament calls the signs of an apostle. Many of those miracles were the ways God chose to 
to do things. And, and many of the things that we see through here, God chooses not to use anymore. But that does not mean that God isn't present in power. It doesn't mean because we don't see things in, uh, that happen exactly like we see in Acts that God is no longer present in his people and in his church in power. That today he is somehow weaker. That today somehow churches are going to be weaker because we don't have the apostles and the apostolic gifts. God still does wonders. God still does miracles. God still hears our prayers. God still answers our prayers. He still heals. God still changes hearts. God still heals hurts. God still restores relationships. Above all, God saves people from their sin. The spirit-filled church today, the church that pursues God in teaching and in fellowship, it's the same powerful church that began on the day of Pentecost. God still works. Never, ever doubt the powerful presence of God based on what you can see. God's presence and his power extends far beyond what we can see. God is present here today. God builds his church. God's presence in them brought fear. It says, then fear came upon every soul. God's presence brought fear. The result of God's presence being known was that people outside of the church began to fear God. They recognized that what was happening in the gathering of God's people was something different to anywhere else. That what was happening among the people, that the love that was being shown, the care that was being shown, the works that God was doing in their life was something they could not see anywhere else. God was different. God was present in the church like he wasn't anywhere else. The work that God does in a church shows the world what God can do. The Bible tells us that as we love one another, the world knows we're his disciples. Why? How? God does in us what can't be done anywhere else. This is all God keeping his promise. If you go back into the Gospels, to Matthew chapter 16 and other places, Jesus promised his disciples, he says, I will build my church. I will build my church. This day, on the day of Pentecost, one day, God adds 3,000 people to them. 3,000 people join the church, and it says daily after that, God kept adding to the church. In fact, verse 47 tells us exactly how it happens. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. God was keeping his promise. God is doing the work. This wasn't about Peter's eloquence. This really wasn't about how great a sermon Peter preached. It was God. 
This wasn't about the people hearing the gospel in their own language and being amazed by the miracle. It wasn't about the amazement of the Spirit-empowered miracle. The, the, Peter's words were empowered by the Spirit. The miracles and the appearing of the thing was empowered by the Spirit. The work of people being saved was a work of the Spirit. God was adding to his church. God was doing the work. And God will continue to build his church. What was at the heart of the growth? What kept the growth going as God worked? They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Day in and day out, they pursued these two great things. The truth of God and the people of God. Finally, we see that they praised God. They pursued God together. They were empowered by God together. And thirdly, they praised God together. It says in verse 44, Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. As these days progress and as God continues to work in their life, they grew together. They grew together in love. This wasn't, as I said before, commune living or even as some like to to, uh, suggest that it's some form of, of communism. What what happened is it wasn't the people just sold everything they had and began to live together. We see as we progress through that what was happening is as the people saw need, they saw ways that they could help that need and would give to those in need, which is what verse 45 says, dividing them among all as anyone had need. This is why they did it. Why were they selling their, their goods? Why were they, they selling their possessions? Why were they doing this? To meet the needs of their brothers and sisters in Christ. Their lives were changing. At this point, there was not, not yet the, the, the deeply rocky relationship between the Jews and the Christians, but there was trouble arising and, and it influenced the way they lived. No one was making them do this. This was entirely voluntary generosity. They wanted to help their brothers and sisters in Christ. It's why we see what takes place in Acts chapter 5 with Ananias and Sapphira, and we'll see that in a number of weeks. In a spirit-filled church, God creates a family. John says it this way, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Paul noticed it in in the the churches of Macedonia. He says, your your generosity to the church at Jerusalem who are in dire straits is an inspiration to those around you. As they shared life and as they pursued God together, God was joining their hearts and their minds together as one people. They grew together in love and they grew together in joy. This was a community marked by joy. Joy. It doesn't mean it was a perfect community. And the examples that Luke gives in the chapters that follow show that it wasn't a perfect community. 
There were issues and there were problems and there were struggles. But they pursued God. And they pursued each other's good with genuine sincerity. Together, they praised God in every aspect of their life. And here's the wonder of it all. People got saved. People got saved. And the salvation in their own life was seen. Praising God and having favor with all the people. The way they pursued the teaching and the way they pursued fellowship resulted in a way of life that proclaimed Christ. Their testimony as a church was powerful. You know, the reality is, and it's really no different than the times that they were in, but we live in a time when people distrust churches. We want to have a testimony that encourages favor. Not that we want to live to be accepted by the world, but that the world sees in us a people who are living for God and find it a favorable thing. We live to show the world the beauty and the glory of what salvation does in our lives. That they see there is genuinely something different about those people. The genuineness of our love for one another reveals a genuineness of heart for all people. The church isn't an exclusive club. We're open to new members. In fact, we're actively recruiting, testifying, and witnessing of Jesus Christ. A spirit-filled church has a powerful testimony to the lost of God's love and God's grace. Not only was salvation seen, not only did the people see what salvation did in their life, but the result of what God was doing in this church was that salvation was found. The result of this genuine way of life, the result of living in in this God-created family was and still is the salvation of the lost. They learned God's word, they preached God's word, and they lived out what they learned. The people heard the truth, and they saw the difference that it made in their lives, and God drew them to salvation. I heard a read a quote this morning and and I couldn't find it uh, or this week and I couldn't find it later to quote it exactly. So let me give you the paraphrase of of what it was. A pastor had, had written this. It says, we want the power of the church in Acts, but we want to live like the church in Corinth. What he was saying is we want, we want the power of God like we see in Acts, but we want to live like the church in Corinth, which was living like the world. They wanted to keep doing their own things and enjoy the things of the world, but still have God's power. And his point was, it doesn't happen. Acts 2 verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, 
Many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Can you imagine a church like this? I hope so. This is what God calls us to be. It's what he's called us to be. This is a a, a church that passionately desires to know God's word. A church that is steadfastly committed to each other in fellowship and prayer. This, this is what I want to give my life for. It's what I want to be better at. To grow to be. It's what I pray for. Will you pray with me? I told you I've I've resigned from my job for three months for this reason. To help this church be what it could be. Be a spirit-filled, God-loving, Christ-centered family. Will you pray with me? Pray for this church that we will grow in our knowledge and understanding of the truth. Will you pray that God will continue to deeply bind our hearts together in love? Will you pray that we continue to become what a church is meant to be, a family? Will you pray that through our testimony, God will build this church? Specifically, That God will build this church by saving people from their sins. I'm sure if God brings, brings other saved people, other believers to join us, then we will rejoice with them and we will encourage them and we will live with them. But by God's great grace, we want to pray that this church grows not because Christians come from other churches, but because God makes new Christians. That our testimony is saving people from their sins. Will you pray these things with me? Over these next few months, will you pray with me that God makes this church a church like we read in Acts chapter 2? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you humbly and I come before you humbly and admit that in many ways I have not led with this heart, this mind. Pray, dear God, that you would forgive, restore. Dear God, that you would build this church. Dear God, that you would renew and refresh our hearts. Fill us with a love and desire for one another and for one another's good that is uniquely spiritual in that it it comes from you. 
dear God, that what you do in us through your word and through the ministry of one another, that this would, would shine out to others that, that through our words and through our actions, people would be saved from eternal condemnation. Dear God, we, we don't want a church that we want. We want a church that you want. Continue to mold us and make us to that end, dear God. That in everything we do, we give you glory. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.